Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Inflation, Matt, it's out there. It's real. The question I think a lot of folks are saying as they look at the CPI data and the PPI data is, has it peaked? Are we close to a peak? Well, Robert Rosner joins us, executive director, senior U.S. economist for our good friends over at Morgan Stanley. Robert, what say you? What's your inflation call right here? Are we at or near a peak in this inflation? Well, we do think we're near the peak, uh, not just there yet. We still have a couple of months ahead of us where we're likely to see the inflation numbers, particularly year over year, creeping a little bit higher. Uh, but there are signs that that peak is ahead of us in terms of what we know so far. We saw the consumer price index data just yesterday, which showed pretty steady inflationary pressures into the end of the year. But some early signs of cooling in the producer price index, as well as some very early signs of potentially some relief in supply chains, uh, suggest that we may still see cooler numbers ahead as we move further into 2022. Robert, you uh, were the winner or are the winner of the uh, NABE, the National Association for Business Economics uh, Outlook Award, the most accurate economic forecasts. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that is big, especially at a time when there's so much divergence in forecasts um, and there's so much uncertainty out there. What do you do? What do you think you do differently than others when you're putting together a forecast? I think the key to forecasting through the pandemic has been to look not just top down, but bottoms up. We have to understand what's going on in particular sectors of the economy. We have to understand what's going on very high frequency with things like consumer behavior and business behavior, what's going on with hiring. And that definitely pertains to inflation as well. You know, inflation has been uh, certainly a macro phenomenon, but there's been micro details that have been driving the numbers uh, that are really important to watch the pulse of what's moving. So we need to know what's going on in the auto market. We need to be working collaboratively across our research department at Morgan Stanley to understand what our auto analysts are saying, what our sector analysts are saying, uh, because individual sectors that might ordinarily have been small are moving in such large ways it's really impacting the macro data. I think what he just said is you got to work much harder. You got to work harder. That sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> it does. I mean, I'm not sure I'm into that. But back, you know, I've competed against Morgan Stanley and my careers as sell side analysts for years, and they are always, always uh, so good. One analyst leaves, they get someone as good or better. Robert, you know, I guess one of the issues is, um, you know, as we think about the labor market, it's such an important part of this economy, consumer spending, it ties into so many things. My question to you is, and I've asked a lot of smart people, and I'm trying to get my head around this, the four to five million folks that have left the labor force, who are they? Where did they go? Are they coming back? Yeah, it's, a, it's probably one of the most important questions for the year ahead, if not for the next couple of years, is there's still yawning shortfall in jobs relative to pre-COVID peaks. And of course, that's represented as well in the shortfall in labor force participation. There's just fewer people in this labor force than there were prior to COVID. Now, we know a big chunk of that is because of retirements, which look like they caught up pretty significantly over the last 18 months. Those are labor force decisions that are probably going to prove to be stickier. And that, in our estimates, is about two-thirds of the shortfall in labor force participation. And that's the element that we might just not see return. 
Um, but there's still an element to the shortfall in labor force participation that comes from things like disruptions due to COVID uh, or people just waiting to get back into the labor market, having to deal with child care issues, all of the disruptions from the pandemic. Now, that may be slower to return, but there is still some room there to move the needle in terms of bringing labor force participation higher. You know, what it, what it brings up for me, Robert, is a question about um, what cynics or critics call the plunge protection team. Because a lot of what? people, the plunge protection team, like the, the idea that the Fed is going to freak okay. out when markets fall and come back and be very supportive. And the reason that I think it, um, it's an important question now is if you've got these three, four, five million people that decided they could retire early, a part of that was how well they'd done in the markets, right? People, That's Dave Wilson from yes. formerly Bloomberg News. <laughs> Dave, I mean, we all know people, I think, who have done so well in the markets. And of course, they saved early and they put money yep, away yep. and that was smart. But the reason they were able to step away is that we were up 27% last year. We were up 18% in 2020. We were up 29% in 2019. And if you see a 20% correction, can the Fed really continue to fight inflation by staying on the path to rising rates? Or does it have to capitulate and come in and save um, shareholders that are at risk? Well, that's a really great question, and I think we have to begin from a starting point where the Fed is moving towards tightening monetary policy, and one of the reasons that is allowing them to do so is that financial conditions remain extraordinarily accommodative. And by that, I mean movements in markets that we've seen over the last year, the current state of uh, how financial markets are interacting with the economy. It's supportive for growth. So exactly as you described, household wealth is higher. Um, just the overall state of markets is supportive for the economy. And this is a Fed that's looking to dial back the amount of support that it's providing for the economy. And so it's likely to be a Fed that's accepting of some tightening in financial conditions, whether that comes from lower equity valuations, higher rates, stronger dollar. Just the general backdrop of financial conditions may need to snug up a little bit in order to get the economy uh, take some of the steam out of the economy and take some of the steam out of inflation as well. So I think that may come as a surprise to some people is that the, the Fed might not be there to respond to every hiccup in the market when they are looking to get to a backdrop where financial conditions are at least more neutral in terms of how they're interacting with the economy. All right, Robert, thank you so much uh, for joining us. We really appreciate uh, getting some of your time. I'm sure you're busy these days thinking about where this economy is going. Robert Rosner, executive director. He's a senior U.S. economist uh, with our good friends at Morgan Stanley here in Midtown Manhattan. Bloomberg Markets Today is brought to you by Commonwealth supporting more than 2,000 independent financial advisors with the solutions they need to grow a thriving business. Commonwealth, go where you grow. Visit Commonwealth.com to learn more. I wonder what people, the real people out there, Matt, that are, you know, putting their daily paychecks, giving it to their financial advisors, saying, you know, where do I go with my money here? I've got it in a market where I think we're going to have rising interest rates throughout this year. What do I do? Well, fortunately, we have some smart people to help us think about that. Tammy Haygood, financial advisor for UBS, joins us. And Tammy, I'd love to hear what a typical phone call these days in the early days of 2022 between you and your clients are. What are they asking you? Good morning. Thank you for having me. Um, it is 
clear that one of the first conversations that we're talking about is inflation. Um, you don't have to be on the uh, news cycle. You just go to the grocery store and understand that prices are higher than they've been. And um, with the news on earlier this week, inflation at a 39-year high, it's, it's on the forefront of most people's minds. I think the thing that doesn't get talked about nearly as much but is a balancing effect for us is um, the fact that jobless claims are at a 50-year low. So for us, two ends of the barbell. Tammy, the concern I guess I would have as an investor is that, you know, not only do I want to make more than inflation, but um, I, I'm looking at, out of the corner of my eye at the Federal Reserve. And if they're getting really aggressive, that typically um, has held back growth. And uh, it's, it's, not, it's not unusual for stock markets to take a hit when the Fed is in a hiking cycle. So are you worried um, that, your, that your clients are going to see returns diminished compared to what they saw last year? 2020, 2019, as the Fed starts to raise rates? Well, I, I think that 2020, 2021 were outsized returns for the S&P 500. So we would not suggest that that is, is, is going to be the norm. But we do have a very strong consumer we have wages that are rising, and we have easy capital, even with the Federal Reserve uh, raising rates. And so we think that that's going to um, bode well for both the consumer and corporate earnings. So we really believe that we're looking at a 12% S&P um, in 2022, and maybe even 9% in 2023. How about, Tammy? I'm going to go bad, by the way. That's What's not that? bad. That's, that's awesome. That's, that would be great if that, that would actually be awesome. happened. That yeah. would be awesome. I think, you know, um, a lot of folks would take that, particularly after the last three years where we've had such outsized gains. doesn't look as good if you take out 7% for CPI. No, but, but I don't think CPI is hard. I don't think we're going to be seven percent CPI for very long. But who knows? We'll see. Sammy, uh, Tammy, I'd love to get your thoughts here on crypto because we get so many questions about that. And I wonder when one of your good clients calls you up and says, "Tammy, what should I be doing with crypto? Should it be in my portfolio?" How do you mm. respond to that? Well, we don't advise on crypto at this point at UBS. Um, it's still a, a big unknown for us. Even the term crypto has many different um, terms associated with it. Um, we do believe that perhaps the, the there will be a, a crypto market. We're certainly seeing it. Um, I, I think Coinbase was um, uh, reported as having gone and uh, started to do al alternatives in the crypto market um, options. So we think that it will exist, but it's just 
too speculative for us to get our arms around right now. I mean, man, you'd be super rich, and so would all your clients if you had been advising that starting 10 years ago. Is it something that you're increasingly think thinking about? Is it something that, you know, UBS financial advisors need to take a course on? Well, I think that we we are watching it very carefully, and um, not to be argumentative, but we would have rich people if we got them in 10 years ago. If we got them in 12 months ago, maybe they would have half as much money because it's No, they'd still down. be super so, rich. 12 months, 12 months I, is pretty good for, for Bitcoin. Yeah. I mean, right now, um, you'd be looking at uh, a, a rise over the last 12 months of about 100%. Well, not everybody's uh, into this crypto thing. Like, you've been on it since the beginning, Matt. All right, Tammy, thank you so much for joining us. Tammy, hey, good. Financial advisor at UBS uh, giving thoughts on these markets. Let's bring in our next guest, please. Isabel Winkles, CFO of Braze. That's a publicly traded company, symbol B-R-Z-E, about $5.8 billion in market cap. They are a cloud-based software company. Isabel, thanks so much for joining us. We're not going to ask you any car questions, but we'd love to just start with, talk to us about Braze. What do you guys do? Where do you fit into that technology stack, as the kids say? Yeah, thank you for having me. So Braze is a leading comprehensive customer engagement platform that powers interactions between consumers and the brands that they love. So with Braze, global brands can power contextually relevant, personalized, cross-channel campaign, marketing campaigns that build lasting, high-value relationships between these brands and their Hang on, I got to get my millennial dictionary out here to understand okay. what you're saying. Um, and also, you know what? I only interact with brands that I hate for the most part on social media. Is that does that make me unusual? I usually reach for social media when somebody's really made me angry. Typically, an airline. That, that, that's funny. So you know, the, the brands that we're that that we service are really across multiple industries. We service brands uh, in retail and e-commerce, the on-demand space media, entertainment, and streaming. We're within the financial services sectors. We're incredibly broad. We service about a dozen different industries globally. Um, and so, you know, it's less about sort of the interactions that happen on social media and more about really the first-party relationship that is built between uh, yourself as a consumer and the individual brand that actually you want to develop a relationship with. And, and you are willing to download that app engage on a mobile site, on a website, and you're actually hoping to, to really get as much out of that brand as possible. And that brand wants to develop that, that sort of genuine relationship with you and needs to message you in a way that feels relevant, actionable, personal, and timely. So what kind of brands do you typically work with at Braze? I mean, I'd love to get a sense of just kind of like your typical client. Yeah, so again, you know, across a dozen different industries, both in the U.S. and outside the U.S., about 40% of our revenue comes from outside the U.S., but maybe, um, you know, the best thing is to just sort of give you a customer example, um, and I'll actually pick one that's kind of outside of the traditional kind of retail set sector uh, and one that's outside the U.S., so a, a company called Canva. This is a software-as-a-service company based in Sydney, Australia, and they actually offer online design and publishing platforms, uh, and their mission is really to empower everyone in the world to basically be able to design anything and publish their content anywhere. 
So they came to us and they bought Braze. And what they were really looking to do was to better support this vast design community around the world. And they wanted to be able to produce more targeted and helpful content to these to their various users. So they needed a way to reach millions of users across the globe with this more relevant information tailored to their local interests. And they needed to do it in numerous languages. So as the solution and Braze powered this, they executed an email campaign that actually increased their overall email distribution, but actually managed to increase the overall uh, click-through rate and engagement rate. Uh, and they were able to do this in a way that targeted their users with highly relevant content. They were able to do it in multiple languages uh, to be as relevant and applicable. And what that does is really make the end users feel like Canva is actually paying attention to what it is they want, what it is they need. Uh, and it helps to build that trust and that ongoing relationship and turns a casual user into potentially much more of an evangelist, which is really what the brands are looking to do over the long term. Yeah, absolutely. It's- seems like it would take a lot of personnel. What kind of growth, um, what kind of uh, employee base are you looking at? So we, uh, our company has uh, just over a thousand employees. um, And, you know, we've been growing uh, several hundred employee headcounts year over year. Uh, And so our our growth has been material uh, in terms of our top line. That's kind of matched our top line growth. We've been growing, you know, north of 50 percent. You can see our our most recent quarter, we were north of 60 percent year over year growth in the quarter. Um, The market opportunity that is ahead of us is just material. We talked about a 16 billion dollar ham in the U.S. alone. That's a huge market opportunity. You know, we're a company that's sort of operating in sort of the, you know, 200 million dollar revenue range at the moment. They're, they're, we're so early in our ability to pen- continue to penetrate the market. The, the right. growth opportunity is material. Isabel, thanks so much for joining us and explaining Braze and what you do. Isabel Winkles there. She is the chief financial officer of Braze, ticker B-R-Z-E. Let's get over to another fan of four on the floor. Barry Ritholtz joins us right now, Bloomberg opinion columnist and the host of Masters of Business, the uh, popular podcast, as well as a Bloomberg opinion columnist. And I probably most importantly, um, you make calls on the market for clients, Barry. And I wonder what your take is on the Fed path right now. It seems like consensus is that they're going to taper, run off the balance sheet, and raise rates. And now we're hearing some people say, Goldman Sachs says four times, and um, Jim Bullard said, you know, yeah, maybe four times is right. But I've heard a few contrarians out there say, you know what, as soon as we get a 20% correction, as soon as the market dies by 25% or 30%, you're going to get the plunge protection team coming back to save us. What do you think? So first, the the plunge protection team has done a pretty – terrible job assuming they exist and assuming that's their job description we went through a 34 percent crash in 2020 a 57 percent crash in 0809 i was just looking at peak to trough nasdaq fell 82.9 percent from the the peak in march 2000 to the lows in october 02 I'm not saying these guys are bad at their jobs, hmm. but really, how you know, at, at what point does it become clear that they don't do what they're supposed to do? There's, there's supposed to be liquidity, and the system is supposed to function, but their role isn't to stop markets from rolling over. And P.S., I don't know if you've no, noticed, but this is a pretty hot economy. This is a pretty strong economy. I'm my contrarian take is the world will be fine if there are four 
increases that bring us up to boohoo 1% Fed funds rates. Well, I mean, and running off the balance sheet, I mean, Mohamed Arian um, says he's been saying for a long time they're behind the curve, but he likens this to a football team that is behind with two minutes to go and has to all of a sudden hurry up on their offense with maybe a Hail Mary for the touchdown, but also maybe throwing an interception or fumbling the ball. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of Muhammad Alarians, but that's a terrible metaphor. <laughs> a football game has 60 minutes and then the clock ends. Last I checked, the um, duration of the Fed balance sheets is until the sun explodes in 7 billion years. So I think we're not in the two-minute warning. If you think they're behind the curve, meaning inflation has gotten away from them, and you ignore all of the supply chain issues, uh, maybe you can make the case that they should have been raising earlier. I, I don't really see what the problem is getting off of this emergency footing and on to a more normal rate regime. Money is not supposed to be free. Borrowing capital is not supposed to be zero. And, uh, you know, the U.S. running a GDP higher than China, that's not supposed to happen. So just taking us to normal isn't isn't the worst thing in the world. So how should your clients position their portfolios, Barry, in what will be a, a, an environment where rates will be rising, uh, the short, the intermediate term at least? How do you think about that? So you, you have to understand why you have fixed income in your portfolio for the past couple of years. Uh, it hasn't been for yield. It's been for balance that is less volatile than equities. Uh, there are a handful of exceptions to that, like TIPS have done very, very well. The Treasury Inflation Protected Bonds, which are part of our fixed income portfolios, have had a great couple of years and probably are, are going to do pretty well for the next few quarters or beyond. But, you know, I, we don't see any of the usual signs that suggest this economic cycle is coming to an end or that the markets are, you know, excessively valued or long in the tooth. I've been hearing for a decade since, you know, 2010-11, uh, lower your return expectations. Hey, eventually that'll be good advice, but it's been 11 years of, of 13% a year. That's a tremendous, mm. tremendous run. And then you add in dividends, it's even better. Uh, we don't see any signs that the trend is about to end anytime soon. It, it's been, you know, it's been a fool's errand trying to guess when – the underlying trend in the market uh, is going to come to By a By the point. way, you should do a column on the things you hear at the beginning of every year. <laughs> at the beginning of every year, it's going to be a stock picker's market. Active is going to trounce passive. There's going to be a rotation into value over growth. Um, you're starting you're, to see that value rotation. Cliff Asnes just yeah. was quoted in Bloomberg. Hey, it's a little early to, to take a victory lap, but we're seeing we're starting to see that. So at least... That it appears to be coming true. The the stock pickers market, we, we've been hearing that for a long time. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but last year, the which was also supposed to be a stock pickers market, they underperformed the S&P 500 by 400 basis points, <laughs> unless you want to include dividends, and then it was over 500 basis points. Got to include so dividends. Yeah. Not, not. Last year was not a stock pick. You know what you, I've been hearing the last couple of years is Europe is going to be the place to be. It's trading at such a huge discount to the U.S., and now it's uh, the continent's time to shine. 
but it seems like they always uh, managed to stymie growth in some way compared to America. I, I misunderstood that. I thought they were referring to vacation destinations. <laughs> like, uh, what's more delightful than sitting in a cafe in Paris with, uh. a, with an espresso on a sunny spring day or fall day? Uh, and a date of your choice. Right, but, <laughs> yeah. but you know, so far... Uh, the rotation into either emerging markets or developed ex-U.S., that hasn't been the winning trade either. I'm hearing emerging markets a lot lately, too, especially on the FX side as the dollar gives up its gains. I love watching it. Well, I don't take pleasure in it, but I think it's fascinating watching the dollar come down. The Bloomberg dollar index was 1190 in November, and now we're down at 1160. Yeah, that's going to make it a little pricey to go to, to those European vacations. Look, you know... Everybody sort of focuses on the new year as if it's something significant. The fact that here we are again in January doesn't change the underlying trends. Calendars are human inventions. The economy and the market is going to do what it's going to do. It doesn't care about the flip of the calendar. Yep. All right, Barry, thank you so much for joining us. Always appreciate getting your thoughts. It makes Thursday so special here in Bloomberg Markets. Barry Riddles, Bloomberg Opinion columnist and host of Masters in Business uh, for Bloomberg Opinion. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at PT Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.